Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Welcome one and all to Be Real, guys. It is your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast. And this, the week of the bowl that is super, we are here to talk about the genre of uh, high school football movies. My name is Chance Solon Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. How are you, friend? Uh, I'm great. How full um, is your heart? Oh, full heart, clear eyes can't lose so we're here to talk about uh you know the yeah, yeah, the, the biggest is, event in pro- professional football and maybe entertainment american yeah it's one of the biggest american like entertainment holidays that there are the super bowl it's true um even though somebody asked me today like if i wanted to or someone asked me a couple days ago if i wanted to hang out with them on sunday i'm like sunday's the super bowl and they said ew and didn't talk to me for the rest of the day so Hmm. There's definitely been a line drawn in the sand this year about the Super Bowl, I think. Okay. Because of uh, the NFL and some of its morals or lack thereof? I mean, I think people are seeing... I mean, well, that's the interesting thing about these movies. Is there, like, people who are interested in football are perceived by Hollywood and then, you know, the American public as being, like, a very specific kind of person. Would you not agree? And don't you think all these movies sort of hang in this sort of football religion sort of, you know, trope? Oh, without a doubt. And it's especially sort of prevalent because of like the small town nature of, of the high school. I mean, I think right. in recent years sort of like fantasy football has brought like the NFL into sort of, you know, like an urban entertainment space where like lots of 20 and 30 somethings are interested. But these right. high school football movies are still... These collars are so blue. There's no ironic joy in these football movies. No. <laughs> Just like the way, and I'll, I mean, I'll apologize for myself. Like, where, like, whereas I think the Super Bowl is like a pretty stupid use of all of our collective times. Like, mm. I'm going to watch the hell out of it and enjoy myself <laughs> because you only live once and the Super Bowl's fun. Yeah. But I don't, like, it's not my religion football. Maybe no. a little bit of college football, but not like, not orthodox. I'm conservative mm-hmm. at best. <laughs> But nobody is conservative at best in these towns. So let's talk about the movies that we picked. I think that a character in Varsity Blues, Remember the Titans, and Friday Night Lights, the movie, all refer to it as, I think the way of life gets tossed around in all three movies. Oh, yeah. In two of them, like voiceover to start, I believe. Oh, yeah. I love the... Well, because it's like, that's what I love about these movies is because the ones that choose to be high school movies are somewhat, or like, they have to subscribe to a different set of tropes, like, namely the voiceover to, like, hi, I'm Sean Brumder, you know? <laughs> Whereas the this one movie, the one movie in the trio, Friday Night Lights, like, considers itself a serious drama. Like, it does not consider itself an MTV and or Disney film. No, not at all. Yeah. Um, but we start with Varsity Blues, right? 1999? Let's get right in there. So, like, just to paint a picture, culturally speaking, yes, it's 1999, and it's just, like, the heyday of these 
iconic high school movies. Mm-hmm. And this is almost like an executive's dream picture, right? You have sports, like the, like the biggest sort of watch sport in the country, which is football, fused with high school movie, fused with Dawson's Creek. Yep. <laughs> and you get your leading man in James Vanderbeek, not necessarily known as like an athletic sort of muscly actor, but he puts on a couple pounds of muscle for this one and really just like Dawson's the hell out of that football team. He puts on enough to convince you that he could sit behind Lance Harbor. He was never planning to go in Mox. Right. Well, that's like the, the fascinating sort of trope shift of this movie is because you literally take a better leaning man in uh, Paul Walker, which Hollywood will confirm over the next 15 years Uh and you replace him, you injure him, you take him out and replace him with the protagonist of James Vanderbeek. And like, you know, history will show that James Vanderbeek, (laughs) even in an ironic way outside of the context of Dawson's Creek, which granted I love him in, Uh he's not a leading man. He cannot carry the weight of a motion picture. No, 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 indeed. Um, so this is our first of two uh, West Texas football movies. Indeed. And as Noah mentioned, it uh, Mox, played by James Vanderbeek, is our protagonist. And he's a, a backup quarterback on this team run by a really tyrannical sort of Bobby Knight type coach. Oh, in, sure. In John Voight's uh, Bud Kilmer. And and John Voight, let, let's just like nod to him for a second. John sure. Voight is, has come to play ball. Like he is playing, it, he's going for like a best supporting actor sort of grab here. Don't you sure. think? Like he's doing the same thing that Billy Bob Thornton will think he's doing in Friday Night Lights. But with no, with no wink, no empathy. No, he's going for stark realism he's in a movie that, that is not called for it. Right. He's looking for that abuser's best supporting actor. Right. He's looking for his sort of like softer Hannibal Lecter here. Mm-hmm. Like John Voight's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so as Noah mentioned, uh, star quarterback Lance Harbor, who's committed to Florida State, played by Paul Walker, uh, injures his knee. Like Knees terminally. are big in this one. Yeah. <laughs> Injures this to me like terminally when uh, when Billy Bob, their their star offensive lineman, has gotten a concussion, been concussed so badly in a previous game that he just falls down and a de- he passes defender, out. He's defender. rendered unconscious for about ten seconds while he's missing a block that then injures Lance yeah. Harbor. The neutral zone quickly becomes a war zone, and Lance <laughs> Harbor has his oh, knee man. ripped to pieces. Yeah. Um, that defense or that defensive lineman really shoots some gaps there and just kills yeah. Lance Harbor, ruins his career, and then he so never the, plays again. No, so the rest of the movie sort of becomes, and I'm gonna have to be reductive here because otherwise there's no way to sum it up. The rest right. of the movie sort of becomes this question of whether, uh, like, the scrappy remnants of the team, most of them brutally injured in one way or another, can right. come together and. Uh, win the district title sort of in spite of Bud Kilmer. But big parentheses, do they care about football? Does football matter to this movie for right. like long stretches? Well, that's sort of, I mean, that is the fundamental question of these movies. Um, is like, 
is football fundamentally important? Like, is it is it a thing you should value? In America, we have laws. And it's just accepted that as a member of American society, you will live by these laws. In West Canaan, Texas, there is another society which has its own laws. We woke up in the twilight zone. West Canaan, sex and football. It's all there is. <laughs> hey, Mark, let's roll! <laughs> you know, in these West Texas towns, it's very much portrayed as that these are all these kids have. It's all that the towns have. Their parents and sort of like that generation and beyond are these very kind of sad people who are still living for Fridays um, and basically pinning their hopes on people who cannot even vote yet. Right. Um, and so it there's like a very powerful angst that overtakes people like Mox um, and like Mike in Friday Night Lights which is like, I'm not even 18. How is this the most important thing I'll ever do? And yet the thing about Varsity Blues is it knows in some way that that's ridiculous, right? Like it, right. The, the thing I can't figure out about Varsity Blues is whether it's a satire or a soap opera. I, or, the tone is swinging wildly at times. Well, that's the thing about it is that I think it is a satire, but the only way that it got made was by also being like a gross out, like Van Wilder level movie. Right. Of like gross. Like the Scott Kahn character is only there to like give that movie a sexual content sort of contingent. Right. And that's also how you have like the the women being sort of like forced to sexually embarrass themselves for the, the high schoolers. Right. But it also just sort of pokes at an interesting, whether or not it actually exists, uh, like gender dynamic of women feeling like the literally the only way they can get out of this godforsaken town That's is true. by cuddling up to these her their only ways out, which is the anchor of uh, maybe college or professional football career. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about this movie that I think saves it from being just another garbage teen after dark comedy central movie Mm -hmm. is that it doesn't, it isn't afraid to show just how dark this world is. Like it's not glamorous. Like, yes, they get away with a lot of shit, but like the shit they're getting away with, like it's sad. Yeah. That barbecue scene where the, the fathers of Lance Harbor and Mox who played football 25 years ago, want them to William Tell style, knock the beer cans off their heads. That's an upsetting scene. That is an upsetting scene. The movie scene. knows like, that it's upsetting in the way it's directed. Yeah. Well, do you love when he's like, when they start like hassling him to play this game, it's the Jaws shot of like the zoom in on the face, the pull back. It's on oh, James yeah, Vanderbeek. Yeah. Where like the depth of field changes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the face gets closer. Uh-huh. It's, uh-huh. Uh, I mean, an incredible shot, but it's such a weird like artistic choice for what, doesn't seem like a a film that doesn't seem to have the aesthetics of a movie like that it's definitely not uninteresting to watch Um, like this movie's hard to look away from i would say yeah it's i mean it's prescient with the things that we right uh now sort of associate with like the inherent drawbacks of football with with concussion and sort of like a get back out there you're like this movie really it's interesting how the bud kilmer figure in the proverbial coach speech yeah. where it's just like, go and get it. 
with your soul and your mind. Just go and get it. Be tough. That's You're really not that far away from saying, go and get it with these drugs and like go in there and put your body at risk. Like It's interesting how this movie points out that those two things are pretty close together. Right. And it's also a movie that also... It's an interesting when we look at all three of these movies and like what these coaches are trying to get out of these situations, right? it's this movie is the most cynical, I would say. Oh, absolutely. Like it's saying that John Voight, but then it also has that, that very MTV turn at the end to keep it sort of like still a, a movie for children who grew up watching Disney movies where mm-hmm. they like, he like, and he never coached again, you know, like after he stares at his trophies for the second half and uh-huh. they call him out for being an asshole. But like up until that point, like he has just used these young men's to further his own career. To get his 23rd district title. Right. And he really didn't like give a damn about them at all. I think a, a movie that made more like choices about tone and what it wanted to be and was not sort of being pulled, as you mentioned, by what it had to live up to for MTV audiences. Right. I think, I think maybe a braver movie. Maybe they don't go back out. Maybe they don't play the game at the end. Like it, was surpri- <laughs> it frankly surprised me when all of a sudden they were like, "Well, it's well, a better movie." We just banished this coat, this this tyrant of a coach, and and well, wait, no, we are gonna do the sports movie thing. Yeah. Like it really tried to have its some cake and eat it too. But I think there's just something suspicious and interesting about this movie. And I will point to one thing. Go ahead. The one thing that's suspicious about this movie is like, like politics or like what it set out to do is, uh, James Vanderbeek's little brother. Oh yes. So there's like four or five sequences of, his little brother trying out like the world religions to sort yeah. of understand the meaning of life. And the movie opens with a shot of him literally like attached to a cross, which is like a bizarre image to begin. What is otherwise a pretty inoffensive movie politically with like that. Yeah. But I think there's something like strangely subversive about that, which I'm really into. Well, I think that's the satire part. Like, that's the part where it's just, like, in a weird, in a house where football is the only religion, the black sheep little brother is is actually trying on costumes from, like, uh, Hinduism and the Nation of Islam and, right. <laughs> and a strap across to his back. But then they end up playing the game just like they do in every other sports movie because James Vanderbeek's, like... Being a hero is pretty good. I think the Don't you make out with heroes, out. Amy Smart? Oh, bad line. This movie, uh, speaking of heroes, how about the uh, <laughs> the placement of Foo Fighters, my hero, <laughs> during like the triumphant, like them coming from behind in the third and the second quarter montage? Yes. There, there goes my hero. It's so good. All movies and most of life can be described with our rating system. The four categories are good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. The first good or bad refers to intellectual quality. The second is pure pleasure. Good, good is easy. Things that make you feel smart and happy and that for both reasons you'd want to do again. Like watching The Departed or Jaws or calling your pal to do a podcast with him. Good, good movies make Noah say, Love that. 
Bad bad is easy too. Things that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just wasted your time. Things like watching White Chicks or Wild Wild Wests. A conceptual double album of Christian pop punk. Bad bad movies make chance say things like, I hated that. Good bad then is something you recognize as worthwhile, but not something you enjoy. Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, most classical music, eating your goddamn vegetables. Good bad is about being an adult, and these kinds of movies make no essay. I mean, I'm glad I saw it once, but never again. Conversely, bad good is for your thoughtless inner child. It's Cheetos, it's late career Billy Joel, it's movies like Christmas Vacation. Honey, kids. And Deep Blue Sea. Bad good movies make chance say, but it failed in such an entertaining way. Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear an opinion stated as fact. I think this is a very, very uneven movie um, that is pretty entertaining throughout, that has some really interesting sort of scenes that don't... That it has a lot of scenes that completely slow down and grind to a halt the arc of a sports movie and you sort of wonder like how is it that we spent time with mox's little brother or the strip club scene in a movie that is like 90 minutes long Um, it's a little bit longer than that it's almost two hours so i think it's bad good i'm gonna have to go ahead and say that you're wrong you think it's pretty even, that the, the tone's uh, pretty good, and it makes a lot no, of sense? No, no, no. I think the sheer ambition of what this movie is trying to say about, like, football culture and the high school thing, mm-hmm. you know, in very, like, like similar ways to the other MTV movie brand, Perks of Being a Wallflower, uh, last week's Orange County, I think this one successfully sort of says something about what it's like to be like young and have your parents be kind of like dicks and you like wanting to better yourself, but like kind of do it in a great, like awesome way, like yearbook (laughs) moment. I think this movie succeeds. And then that ride as weird as as many missteps and as as weird as it gets, I think this movie is ultimately a success and very watchable. Good fucking good. Okay, let's uh, go from there to 2000's Remember the Titans, which... So uh, this time, essentially the same film, except it's not John Voight, it's racism. Right, right. Um, set in 1971, Virginia, uh, with the... That's with pretty late for... For school integration? Yeah. For school, isn't, I, was, I was checking my dates on that one. Like on Wikipedia as I was watching, like 71. That's pretty late, isn't it? Yeah, that's south. So, oh um, my god! So you have. Do you want to summarize this one, or should I? I can get into it. Do so, it. So, 1971 Virginia schools are integrated, and it's like a goodwill gesture to the black community. The school board decides to sort of demote the head coach of the football team and hire a black coach. Right, and, Herman and Boone. then he Herman Boone. This is a true story, mind you. But yeah, so you have this guy coming as the coach, and he's so he's dealing on the micro level with the racism and preconceived notions and prejudices of prejudices of these two groups, these white football players and these black football players. And then they solve it, and everything's great because they're at training camp and they're away from the world. And then they get back to society, and they have to like preach the good word that like you know races can mix and it can be fine. 
And then they also play a football season. You smile. Why are you smiling? Football's fun. You think football is fun? Yes, no. No? Certainly, uh, but it was fun. Not anymore, though, is it? Is it? No, not by now. No, it's not fun anymore. Not even a little bit. Zero fun, sir. All right. Coach Boone's school board made the decision to put you on my staff. I did not hire you. Well, I came up here to coach you. I didn't ask to be assigned to your staff, so I guess we're both in a situation we don't want to be in. But I can guarantee you this, Coach. I come to win. This movie is really, really good. <laughs> um, do you do you actually believe that? Um, I don't think it's really, really good. Um, I think it's quite good. And I, in fact, I think that the most remarkable thing about it that I never noticed during the first, you know, fifty times I've seen this movie <laughs> is that the the editing. And the pacing is incredible. The way they get you into this story and get you into the arcs of it. And this movie does not take a breath. No, not at all. From This movie is a svelte, svelte film. Yes. From, uh, from basically the two sides staring each other down to camp to like breaking down barriers at camp to the Gettysburg, like the second Gettysburg address um, to... Like when they come back, like it's it just moves. Well, otherwise it would be like a four-hour movie, right? This movie is. Can can I say that this movie is one like glorious Disney montage of a sports film? I think that's very fair. Like, there's no. That's the weird thing about this movie that there are no scenes. Did you notice that it was like just this movie has sequences. It doesn't have scenes. There are a lot of parts that I that are very memorable to me, but. You, know, you can remember exchanges, but you can't remember scenes. Like, I dare you to name a scene. Um, well, there's that part where Coach Yost and Coach Boone sit across a desk and kind of look into each other's hearts. Right. They exchange, like, three lines, and then it cuts to something more exciting. <laughs> right. It has to go. We gotta go. <laughs> yeah, there's we, no time to waste. <laughs> we gotta go 13-0. So, if we're talking about, like, what coaches do in this movie, and the morality of football i think what's interesting is what this puts this movie puts forward is that by denying them like agency and water that coach boone essentially breaks these players mentally and physically until they have shared they have like a combat brotherhood they can no longer be racist toward each other because they've like been broken by the coach right which is kind of a strange thing to celebrate, right? And like that's it's an allegory. It's remember the Titans. And it also there's that uh, there is that great speech that Will Patton give tonight. They're gonna remember the t- they're gonna remember the night they play the Titans. I wanted him to just I, at that point you just say the title. Don't say remember the time they played the Titans. Just say right. the title. But this movie, like, is very kumbaya about its sort of race relations. Yes. And I have and to say... And football is the vehicle for that. It's obvious to call it a feel-good movie, but it makes me feel good in a way that the other two movies do not because those two movies are always, like, grappling with whether tr- the tradition of football is essentially, like, poisoning and limiting people into their small-town space. This one rides football into the future, and that feels amazing as an audience member. 
it has something for everyone. It's like a football movie where they win in the end. Yeah. And it's a positive message about how far we've come on race relations. And it just, it's, it makes you feel great on so many levels, but it can connect to a broad demographic. But it's also a little bit propaganda if you like look at it too closely. Sure. Not that there's anything wrong with the, what they're trying to say, if though. You just point into the face of the right. most racist this movie, coach, you will break his spirit. I have been waiting most of my adult life to have my moment where I point at the physical embodiment of something I hate and just point <laughs> at it and just point with my my arm completely extended, eyes just glued onto whoever that person is and be like, oh I'm going to kill racism right now for you. Yep. Incredible. If people don't know what we're talking about, there's a sequence, not a scene, a sequence <laughs> in the film where Gary Bertier like does something, like he like tackles somebody well because he's he's on defense. Right. He tackles somebody well, and then he like runs to the alternate sideline, makes eye contact with the evil head coach of the other team, and just extends his arm and points at him. Mm-hmm. He's on notice. Can we talk about the the way the football is filmed in this movie? Because I think it's really, I think the best and the worst climactic moments is, are really a, a tale of two ways to film. Um, there's an incredible, when Sunshine first goes into the game, um, the scene where he tucks and runs forever and ever and ever is so exhilarating. But Julius's big moment where he kind of six million dollar mans after <laughs> the guy who's like streaking down the field and manages to strip it is pretty cringeworthy. Like Peter Berg would not have allowed that into uh, no. his movie had he directed this. No, that one's pretty telegraphed. And I think most of the action sequences in this, because it's not going for subtlety, it's going for, you know, audience pleasing. Right. Um the, yeah, the football is probably the least exciting in this one. Well, I think what this movie has to do, and it's harder, and it speaks to the fact that what's so lovable about this movie is the ensemble cast. Even if you think they're miscast, um, I think that it offers you... In ten, a charming way. I think it offers you 10 or 12 memorable people to stick with who you're very like attracted to as an audience member, and you still get to see them in the helmets. It's obviously them, and I think in Friday Night Lights that could be anyone <laughs> like on the like throwing and catching oh yeah well it's much faster and more realistic and less like stagey right yeah so for all the faults i have with this movie it's like very on the nose political agenda and also the fact that it's not a movie so much as like a very long commercial for like <laughs> How great white people are. How is it not a movie? It has the exact arc of, like, the traditional Sure, it is movie. a narrative. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, a narrative does emerge, and it, there are, like, things that lead up to it, I will grant you. And there are characters, and there's setting, and there's all the things you need for a film. But I don't think it's a terribly, like, artfully made film. It's oh, like no. The, it's the minimum amount of scenes or sequences you need to equal a moving Disney sports narrative. Do you need me to come over there and lift you up while Peace Train plays to cheer you, cheer you up? Would that help? Great, great soundtrack. Oh, incredible soundtrack. God, when I heard dun 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 I was so ready for Gary Bertier to get paralyzed and it just kills me every time. Oh, yeah. 
Oh. He was doing, you know what? He what, did his signature him? move again. He did his signature point, and that oh. was that was his undoing. Yeah, you can't, you can't. Who was oh. that fucking guy with that bugle? Uh, oh. Automotive oh, hubris got him in the end. I think if there's a if there's a fault in the the racial politics of the movie, it's that in order to make the 115 million dollars it made it needs to show that the good white people and the black people are on equal footing which we know sort of historically is like not true in the morality of crimes like at the very beginning where the shop owner this this town is at each its throats because a shop owner has killed a young black man and the movie sort of stages these factions as being like equally upset about that but i think that I'm now going to apologize for this film because I think there's a lot of good about it. And I'll tell you, I think the the crown jewel of what makes this movie watchable, if not technically quality, is Denzel Washington. Because this movie is pretty gloves on, I would say, like in the exposition until he shows up. And then before you really like know him, know him, there's a scene where they're getting onto the training bus and Gary Burt's here, like goes up to him and he's just like, hey, coach, here's my dick. Like, I'm in charge of this team. Like, we're going to be okay. I'm going to call the shots. And by the end of that scene, Denzel Washington is whispering to him, who's your daddy? Am, am I your daddy? Get on daddy's bus. Yeah. You know? It's incredible. It's a weird, it's a weird, that's a good, that is one of the few scenes in the movie. And it's one of the few things that I think really works and makes me wish that this was a a more weighty, depthier movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I mean, and this is, you're pretty close to peak Denzel here. Oh. Is, you're still before training day here. I mean, he, he hasn't looks... even thought about making fences yet. <laughs> He's still no. in his prime. No. Um, the He's, equalizer is years away. It's true. Um, yeah, I'm glad you didn't let us get out of talking about this movie without mentioning that, uh, you know, one of the top 10 movie stars of post-1980 is in it, carrying right. the whole thing. Like, And he does. There's, there's John Boyd, there's <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton, and then there, several oh, floors yeah, up yeah. is Denzel Washington. Well, that's the thing. I think that if any actor needs to carry one of these movies to the finish line it's Denzel Washington in the script for remember the Titans and you know he does it because he's Denzel Washington at this point in his career he could carry a movie with like weird scenes and like just a just a a moral code that one cannot disagree with he even convinced me that the veer was like a reasonable offense just give it time it's like Novocaine it always works I don't want to watch people run the veer. I still get pretty excited when Sunshine gets in there and just Joe Willie Namath's the whole thing into <laughs> right into the late seventies. Yep. Oh man. Um, I've seen this movie a million times. It is a seminal oh, chance soul and fight for film, and apparently know it too. And uh, I think it is, you know, as sappy as one might imagine, and pretty good. Good. Yeah, I'm gonna have to say that. If I gerrymander the way I appraise movies a little bit, just because I, you know, sort of love this film from childhood, um, I would say that there's more good than bad Definitely. on both the technical side and the watchability side. So, yeah, I'll, I'll come with you. A soft, 
but still a good good. It, it wins good good by electoral votes, but not by popular vote. Oh. Should we get to Friday Night Lights? So what's interesting about the former movie, Remember the Titans, is that football is not the question, right? It's racism and it's integration and it's sort of this American, bigger American question and football is just sort of an entry point. Sure. But then coming back to Friday Night Lights, football is again the question and a serious one at that. Oh, yeah. Oh, this yeah. is by far the most serious of the two films, which are basically just high school films, too. Right. But this one is not your... Heath Ledger would never have been in this movie. No. Uh, Garrett Hedlund plays who is going to be the Taylor Kitsch role mm-hmm. from the television series. Well, that's the weird thing. Let's let's get into it right away. Yes. The plot of this movie, which is sort of like the, te- the first season of the television show Friday Night Lights... But it's also much darker. Peter Berg directed both, and in this one, he's going right to 1998, or 1988, excuse me, to tell the story of uh, the Permian High School Panthers and their unlikely run to the Texas State title game. Gentlemen, the hopes and dreams of an entire town are riding on your shoulders. You may never matter more than you do right now. It's time. Now, if you want to win state, you're going to have to beat a team of giants, a team of monsters over in Dallas that outweigh you about 30 pounds a man. This is real, sincere warfare. We're in the business of winning. It's classic Peter Berg. It's so... Docu-realism is just all he cares about. There are characters in this movie, but I don't especially feel a way about many of them. Yes. Because Peter Berg hates to editorialize. He, I mean, even coming up into movies he's making today, like Deepwater Horizon and Patriot's Day. He but he's, like, he's lo- a director who likes saying, I hate to editorialize. <laughs> well, yes, that's true. But he just, he finds these stories about American strength. And right. all he wants you to know, realize is that, like, common people can be heroes. In, whether it's on an exploding oil rig or on a hill in an Afghanistan or uh, in the It's Astro- amazing he didn't direct Sully. It is incredible. Uh, pretty soon- <laughs> The most amazing thing about Peter Berg is that he didn't direct Sully. <laughs> well, Eastwood's coming up on 90, so pretty soon all Eastwood movies oh, will be Peter, Peter Berg, Berg movies. Peter Berg like, kind of is our, on the, at least on the directorial side, like our Clint Eastwood. Yes. But um, then he's going to get weird. What do you mean? He's going to like get weird and like he is going to start to editorialize more <laughs> than he already does without thinking he's doing it. You think he's like looking at a chair in his house? He's like, I need to make a movie about that chair. There need to be a lot of cuts. What about a Clint movie that like begins with a prologue of him at the Republican National Convention talking to that chair? <laughs> and then we flash back. <laughs> get real Scorsese with it. A Clint Eastwood biopic directed by Peter Berg. Peter Berg would be the only man for that job. And I haven't made any changes in Clint's life. This is just a story about how strong Clint was in the face of Based on a true story. (laughs) Um, So I have to say, the two things that I find most relentless in this movie, other than the football... The soundtrack by Explosions in the Sky. The soundtrack by... Explosions in the sky. Yeah. And just the relentless camera work. Oh my God. Like, it's a kind of movie where you say afterwards, 
there's some good camera work in that, but like you don't actually mean it because it was noticeable. <laughs> right. To what end? There, there, when he, when <laughs> right. he chose to cut during a makeout scene, I was just like, well, you're just, you'll just cut everything, Peter Berg. Right. You're just like Paul Greengrass, but with everyday life. Right. That's wow. Nice. Thanks. I uh, liked that one. But it's like only one director I can think of other than like Michael Bay would have the audacity to shoot like a two person speaking scene, like one of the sort of coverage shots from a helicopter. <laughs> like that is just irresponsible filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. The only other time I've seen this movie, I was a little kid. I would I had probably just finished watching Remember the Titans and I thought, why don't I put on Friday Night Lights? And I was so bored. I remember being so bored. And my attention span is better now than it was when I was 14. But there's still... I have trouble grabbing these characters. Right. But there's also something... I don't know if you felt this, but I almost felt like... The movie's like a tiny bit icky. Okay. How's that? In that it's not... Because it's shot with that docu-realism... It almost feels like you're a voyeur, like, looking into sort of sad people's lives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, like, it's horrible. Like, and it doesn't really... I mean, that it exists, I guess, and maybe that's Peter Berg's commentary, um, is reason enough to, like, feel enraged about it without taking a particular political stance on, like, rural poverty or, like, whatever... Whatever he he would aspire to editorialize. He doesn't do that, but simply seeing like people who have nothing else in their lives other than this strange social contract that binds them all together, which is for a couple months out of the year, they watch their underage children like beat <laughs> each other. Yeah, It's bizarre. It's so, it's very sad. It's like, I mean, it is like watching a documentary about a culture of people that like they should have more, but they're okay with that. And there's something heroic about it, but there also really isn't. Yeah. But a documentary would have to sort of answer the question of why it's there, you know, like why right. do this? And Peter Berg does not have to answer that question. Like that, that's what I had trouble sort of labeling was the protagonist and the antagonist. It's like both are football. Well, it's almost like this team versus their circumstances. Mm hmm. Which is a pretty flimsy thing to like hang a movie on, but so it's you almost get this. It's I felt like almost crap. It's like a crashian sort of movie where there's all these little stories that do connect, and it has this football to pull them back together. But ultimately, it's almost a collection of short stories where you have one story about his father, uh, this guy's him, his football career, and his father's football career, and the oh, ring. Timothy like, yeah, Tim McGraw and Garrett Hedlund like duking it out and that ring becomes like the physical sort of thing and he finds the ring after the dude throws it out the window. Like that's very dramatic. Yeah. And like the thing about his mom and like he's afraid to move away from his mom. So he sort of like doesn't want to be good at football. And then the the tragic almost uh, Achilles level story of Booby Miles. Oh, yeah. If you want to win, put Booby in. Oh, definitely. Where he has not, he literally has this one magical power, and because of his hubris, he loses it and has nothing. His life, his his dreams of becoming, getting his Mercedes Benz on the magazine, just evaporate. 
I thought that the I have to say I thought that the scene where he's just like booby you didn't lift was very sort of that is an element of editorializing because it's right. just like by the way he's got this coming well hold on we just saw him run to practice in the heat while everyone else drove yeah, your, so his, your establishing lazy. shot of him was like running in the heat while kids and cars could barely keep up with him right so like the, the dude's in the prime of his life he, he may not need to lift yeah <laughs> right so that was sort of one where it's just like why did we need to imply that like booby deserved that on some level Right. But that's the thing, too. And that goes back to your original point. It's like these kids are 17 years old. Like they don't the choices they make now about how lazy or hardworking or whatever they're like subplot psyches are telling them to do is for utterly forgivable. Mm-hmm. The football in this movie is really good because Peter Berg oh, is concerned deeply so with the authenticity, just the way they line up the I mean, some of the. the Varsity and Titans definitely take advantage of some very like close-up shots to avoid having to show a pseudo football team running a play. And Peterberg has sort of demanded um, that they do that. And it looks all the actors have become a competitive team at this point. Really good, yes. Yeah. And yet, because I couldn't see Julius's face and I didn't know what the play meant to him. I don't know. I I just this movie kept me in an arm's length. I felt I felt like it wore Lucas Black's facial expression the whole movie. That's what I kind of felt like. This movie is like watching football, but like with more. Mm-hmm. Like knowing like what it was like when they like got out of bed that morning and kissed their wife goodbye and like said bye to their kids, not knowing whether they'd be able to walk by day's end. Right. So it's like the full twenty-two that NFL journalists study after the games, except with like you still get to see what they had for breakfast that morning. Right. Yeah. Which is like maybe not the most interesting thing to make a movie about. Right. You know what I think Peter Berg is rightly concerned about in this film, though, Mm. that I don't think enough people talk about commentators, fans alike, is the simple concept of ball control. (laughs) You don't think so? Peter Berg is relentless. Ball control tears families apart in this film. Hold on to the ball. Uh, Tim McGraw wraps Garrett Hedlund's hands in duct tape so he can hold on to the ball. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I don't think he's wrong. Ball control. (laughs) There's no reason to drop that ball. All right. I see. Um, Yeah, he definitely cares about that. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and rate this. I mean, it's... It's a, you know, it's it's like in the vein of the first Rocky movie. It's a how you play the game type sports movie. Um, and, but I don't find it particularly embraceable. I think that Gary Gaines, as portrayed here by uh, William Robert Thornton, is, <laughs> um, I don't know, it would have been, I need a little bit more like erraticness that you got from Herman Boone when he would just like walk up to someone and just mind fuck them with like asking Donald Faison whether he thought football was fun. And Gary Gaines is a little bit uh, subdued. He's, he's a little too, he's not quite Jimbo Fisher or Pete Carroll enough for me. Right. Yeah. He's, he's subdued. And even when he does get like excited, he's, it's still like, you feel you don't feel like feel it be like Ugh. Oh, you know someone it's not, told Billy Bob to yell there. 
Yeah, but I did like his, uh, like, go out there, like, you can do, like, or, you know how to do this, you're perfect. No, get it done! <laughs> you know, was, kind of thing. That Was that Billy Zane as Billy Bob? <laughs> no, that would be, like, he definitely, like, hit every word, and they're like, now get it done! <laughs> you guys like football? Football is important in this movie. Um, <laughs> so, for me, it's going to be a good bad I think it's, t- I, which I think I would say about a lot of Peter Berg movies, frankly. He oh, 100%. is so technical and so precise in the way he puts together a movie. And yet, I don't think he is concerned with the things that make movies watchable. I mean, I hadn't seen this movie since I saw it in theaters. Um, and I remembered why when I watched it was that like... Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to see once and, like, experience, like, this sort of movie about this sort of thing because you're so used to... And this movie has, like, a real, like, fuck you ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. And, which is interesting, but, like, again, like, with hard-hitting endings, the more times you watch them, the less hard they hit because you expect it. Right. Um, so I think that the rewatch value for this is pretty low, thus making it... You're right, Chance. A good, bad. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just it's it's strange. I think if if you ask someone like, "What's the most realistic football Hollywood has ever done?" I think you say Friday Night Lights. And yet, I think there are so many more. I think our other two movies today are leaps and bounds more entertaining. Oh, 100 percent. So, um, all right. Well, pal, what a sir. This was a good uh, good category. I think uh, I don't know if it was a good podcast, but it was definitely a great category. Hold on to that ball, okay? Ball control. Ball control, hundred percent. All right, I'll see you later, man. Take care. Everywhere we go.